Good morning. Well, now that Brad got you a little hyped up, we, uh, yeah, that's pretty good stuff. Give them a hand for doing a great job this morning. <clears throat> um, if you're new here this morning and, and I haven't yet uh, been introduced to you or I haven't introduced myself to you or you haven't introduced yourself to me, my name is Jesse and uh, I'm part of the pastoral team here, part of a great team uh, here that serves at Sierra Bible Church. We want to welcome you if you're new. And if you are new, one of the ways that we like to connect with you is uh, after the service, head out to the um, foyer just outside to my right, your left. We got a free gift for you. We got a book we want to give you and some coupons for our coffee shop, things like that. And uh, just want to like, get to know you and bless you. And we pray for visitors. We actually, we want a church that's welcoming to people who, uh, who don't know Jesus, people who are seeking out who Jesus is. And so we truly enjoy when somebody comes for the first time and, and they, they're just asking questions and they're seeking. If that's you this morning, just know we pray for you. We want you here and we're really glad you're here. We want this to be a safe place where you can ask questions and dive into understanding who uh, Jesus is. In fact, a really cool story this morning, uh, Jim Mathias, um, who, who we recently just brought on as our full-time janitorial service guy, as well as our Hispanic ministry guy, as well as our art guy. He like does everything, so we figured we might as well actually start paying him for some of it. Um, he does a great job, and he pulled up this morning. He's been bringing a gentleman to church uh, the last uh, couple weeks. His name's Nehemiah, and Nehemiah is a Hispanic young man who moved here uh, to work with one of the local gas companies, and he's been riding his bike, Nehemiah has been, for the last six months uh, you can kind of do the math on that. For the last six months, he's been riding his bicycle. It uh, takes him about an hour to get here to church, an hour to get back home because he doesn't have a car yet. And he's been traveling an hour on bicycle just to come worship Jesus and learn about Jesus, which I think is pretty neat. And so Jim pulled up into the parking lot with uh, Nehemiah this morning, and they noticed there was a car that they hadn't seen uh, in the parking lot. Now, I don't know how many of you <laughs> realize we have some neighbors here who, um, who use our parking lot because there's not enough parking. Uh, in the apartment complex. And so we have a huge parking problem here on Sundays in many of our services, as many of you know. And some of you park on the street and our volunteers park across the street. We have a big parking problem. It's one of the reasons why uh, the center part of the parking lot is actually just gravel chips so we could make a few more parking spaces uh, so kids didn't have to run across, you know, we just big problem. And so we, we're constantly communicating with management over there on Sundays. Could you make sure people don't park here? And so Jim noticed uh, a guy was uh, over there this morning and he walked over to the gentleman and the gentleman uh, uh, actually just moved here in town. He's got four kids. And uh, Jim said, well, hey, would you be willing to come to one of our Hispanic Bible studies this week? And the guy said, yeah, I would love to do that. And so those are the kind of things that I think are really exciting that we pray for. Um, we engage with people, and, and we want to see people come to the saving knowledge of Jesus and get folded into the community. So that's pretty neat. So all that to be said, if you're new, we really want to get to know you. And, of course, if you're here on a regular basis and you support Sierra Bible Church, we also love you, just so you know, okay? A um, couple of things uh, uh, announcement-wise. Um, when I... Uh, I have a way that I kind of personally try to teach through Scripture, which is we, we walk through books of the Bible, um, which if you've been here, you know that's what we do. And typically I move through an Old Testament book and then a New Testament book and then an Old Testament book and a New Testament book and then topical messages in between. So we're in a topical uh, message for a few weeks. Uh, and, and I get I know I mentioned Galatians a, a couple weeks ago. And, and uh, it's just funny the kind of, you know, the things that people ask me. I've been asked. Uh, more than anything else <laughs> over the last few weeks. You're starting Galatians, right? Like, no, not, not yet. And then you'll ask me, you're going to be done this week, right? 
And no, not yet. And so uh, we'll start Galatians soon. And we've been already asked, we provide, um, these are called ESV uh, study journals. And they, uh, they have a complete set. We don't sell the complete set in the bookstore always, but they do have a complete set. But we've been launching these with each uh, book of the Bible that we go through. And so we've had several requests after we did that for the last book we were in in Ruth. And so the Galatians ones are available for purchase in the bookstore now. And the reason we started doing this uh, again, just to give you an insight on the kind of things that I get engaged with and asked with, uh, uh, people complain to me on a regular basis that I don't give them enough room to take notes uh, on the, in the program, okay? So uh, if you're a complainer for $6, we have these available for you for purchase. Um, and there's more room in them. Uh, and so the free version is in your program. The paid version is in the bookstore. Uh, so make sure you grab those. And then a, a couple things of announcements here, if you can... Um, Put up my slides for me, Jess. Uh, one is um, church picnic. So next week, we're not here in this room. We will be at the beach, uh, West End Lake Pavilion. Uh, we're going to feed you. We're just asking you to bring uh, a side dish or a dessert, but we're providing all, all the, the meat and the drinks and, and all of that. And so we want to encourage you to come hang out with us. We will have a service at the lake at 10 a.m. Uh, just one service, though, not two. We'll all gather down there. And we'll do a couple baptisms. If you want to be baptized uh, next week, just let me know. Send me an email or a voicemail, and uh, we'll connect you with that. So that is next week. So don't come here. Are you paying attention? Okay, because seriously, if you show up here, you're by yourself. And you can preach to yourself. It'll be a little weird, but uh, you could do it. Uh, And then tomorrow night, ladies, uh, Melissa Camp, we're throwing her a baby shower. She's having a little baby girl, and uh, we want to bless her. Uh, with a little party tomorrow night. So if you're a gal and you want to come get to know uh, Melissa and engage with her and uh, get to know her, uh, we'd love for you to come. We, we do have this contagious thing. We are still having children at Sierra Bible Church. They just keep coming. In fact, one of the younger gals, as the doors opened up today and all of the kids rushed out, one of our teenage girls in the church said, people need to stop having babies here. <laughs> so I said, uh, you're available to serve in nursery next week right? Um, so uh, come tomorrow night, 6.30 p.m. in Ray Hall. If you don't have a Bible this morning, uh, I want to encourage you to raise your hand. One of these guys would love to put one of our Bibles in your hands. And if you would, we're going to read two Psalms, and I'm going to tie them together. Both of them have a similar topic to them that I want to cover, and it'll be Psalm chapter 20. So put your finger in Psalm chapter 20 uh, and, or turn there. Uh, and then also, while you're turning to Psalm 20, turn to Psalm 124. So those are the two passages we'll be in this morning, Psalm 20, Psalm 124. Uh, and uh, we're going we're gonna to dive into these things here together. Now, the, the title of the sermon, just some s- summer psalms is basically where we're at. But really, really the main overarching kind of topic of what, um, what I'm trying to cover is the idea of prayer and engaging with God in prayer and through conversation and relationship with him. And actually, when I was thinking of, uh, of what I wanted to teach topically, uh, which is a great challenge when you're not in a book because you've got to figure out, okay, what is it that I feel God wants me to share on this particular Sunday? And the matriarch in our church, Mavis, said something to me a couple weeks ago. She said, you need, you need to preach on prayer. And so I'm, I'm kind of fulfilling Mavis's request to teach on prayer. And when I say matriarch, Mavis, it's a point of pride for Mavis. She's the, the eldest, the, oh, I should say the most mature Christian 
at Sierra Bible Church. She's 152 and doesn't, <laughs> doesn't look a day over 78. And, uh, and we love her, and she's awesome. And so I'm kind of, she, she triggered something in me when she said it, and I thought, you know what? Uh, I would like to do that. Let me give you a background before we honor uh, the word of God and stand for Psalms. Psalms covers about 800 years of history. It's quite a bit of uh, amount of time that it covers. In fact, when you go into the Old Testament and you go into Psalms, you're actually reading some of the oldest and some of the newest Old Testament writings in Scripture. 73 of the Psalms around there, uh, there's some numbers that are debatable, are attributed to King David. So most of them are by David, but not all. Uh, one is attributed to Moses, and uh, 12 are attributed to Asaph. There's a couple attributed to other different authors. Uh, so you've got some of the oldest and newest, but also the richest, some of the richest writings in all of uh, the Old Testament. Um, it's estimated that of the old and new Psalms that they've been sung and prayed or read, so listen now, sung, prayed, or read for well over 3,000 years. Covers about 800 years, but the Psalms have to some degree in our history and the Jewish history culture, they have either been read, sung aloud, or prayed for well over 3,000 years. The idea when you read Psalms is that you're reading Psalms with a great crowd of witnesses who've also uh, entered into the reading and praying of the Psalms as well. The NIV commentary uh, says it like this, as you read or sing or pray, off to your right stand Moses and Miriam, in front of you, David and Solomon kneel down. To your left are Jesus and Peter, Paul, Priscilla, and Aquila. While behind you come the current voices of Jerome, St. Augustine, Teresa of Avila, Luther, Calvin, and many, many more. So, so the idea when we read this that I want you to just kind of put in your mind's eye is that when we're reading Psalms, we're entering in to, to a great historical literature where we're also sharing with brothers and sisters of the great past as well as the great present, and that these Psalms were intended to do a couple different things. One of them, they were to be sung, they were to be performed, they were to be read aloud, they were meant to be read in the public temple, and then later they started to become a huge practice for the Jews when the temple was destroyed to be sung and prayed and read aloud within the home. So there, th this is just, the Psalms are just rich for us in heritage, great, great produ pr uh, pro produce for us in the Psalms. Today, uh, we use the Psalms as a guide for personal and private prayer. We use them in songs. Some churches use them pretty heavily in their liturgy, and they serve as a resource for us to hear God speak into our present circumstances, that we would hear God's voice. And, and again, you know when we stand for the reading of Scripture, we do it to honor the fact that God is speaking to us, that God's speech is available to the common person and to the sinner and to the person who is converted in the name of Jesus Christ. The Psalms are kind of broken into three parts. Calvin said, so they're kind of broken into three parts. One, they're broken into praise, a place for us to, to sing uh, uh, to the Lord and to praise who God is, to tell God back to the things that we're grateful for. So praise Lament, there's great struggle and travail in the Psalms. There's great heavy emotions and tragedy in the Psalms. Uh, if you read them at times, it seems as if David is bipolar. He's like, man, God, why have you forsaken me? Why, where have you gone? Why have you done this? And then he comes back and he says, but God is good. And so he's just torn between, you know, this relationship with the Lord. You see that struggle that even David himself has, as well as Thanksgiving. So praise Lament and thanksgiving. What Calvin said was the Psalms give us an anatomy of all parts of the soul. 
So if you will, the Psalms give us a, a look into the human struggle of humanity, but with a picture of God's goodness and God's grace and how God speaks to us and loves us in the midst of all of that, okay? So that's your quick backdrop. You ready to read? Sure, all right. Uh, would you please honor the word of God with me and stand in uh, Psalm chapter 20? <clears throat> A psalm of David. May the Lord answer you in the day of trouble. May the name of the God of Jacob protect you. May he send you help from the sanctuary and give you support from Zion. May he remember all your offerings and regard with favor your burnt sacrifices. May he grant you your heart's desire and fulfill all your plans. May we shout for joy over your salvation and in the name of our God set up our banners. May the Lord fulfill all your petitions. Now I know that the Lord saves his anointed. He will answer him from his holy heaven with the saying, saving might of his right hand. Some trust in chariots, some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. They collapse and fall, but we rise and stand upright. O Lord, save the king. May he answer us when we call. Psalm 124. Again, another psalm of David. If it had not been the Lord who was on our side... Let Israel now say, if it had not been the Lord who was on our side, when people rose up against us, then they would have swallowed us up alive. When their anger was kindled against us, then the flood would have swept us away. The torrent would have gone over us. Then over us would have gone the raging waters. Blessed be the Lord who has not given us as prey to their teeth. We have escaped like a bird from the snare of the fowlers. The snare is broken and we have escaped. Our help is in the name of the Lord made the heaven and the earth and the church said in jesus name amen you may be seated <clears throat> stay in psalm 124 psalm uh 124 was well, actually let me let me uh change no never mind now, yeah i want to stay there psalm 124 psalm 124 was was sung to a degree was read aloud to a degree from the king to his troops. The idea, the idea as, as Israel was moving into the promised land that they were going to end up at times in great war against nations that were a lot stronger than they were, far more advanced than they were. You'll note in the other psalm, in Psalm 20, it mentions that some trust in chariots and some trust in horses. And the reason that's mentioned is because when, when Egypt was freed from uh, Pharaoh's grip, and they moved into the promised land, they were nobody. They were no ones. They didn't have horses. They didn't have a whole lot of belongings. And they had all of these nations that were far more advanced than they were. In fact, one of the ways that they were advanced, in particular towards warfare, was that the other nations had chariots and they had horses. It was the equivalent of like having an atomic bomb in the day. And so these other nations had strong military-type power, and yet God said, I'm going to be on your side. I'm going to be for you. You don't need to fear when you go into the promised land. You don't need to be worried. You don't need to be dismayed. I know that you're, you're a small group of people, but I'm going to be your God. I'm going to be behind you. And what would be done in this particular psalm is the, the, the king would basically say to the army, if it had not been for the Lord who was on our side, and then they said, let Israel say, and then the church, if you will, in a very liturgical manner, the general of the army, the king of the army would say, let Israel say the Lord has been on our side. And the church would say, 
The Lord has been on our side, right? See, we don't do a whole lot of liturgy here. We was talking to Ryan about that this week. So we, we, we wouldn't do a very good job at this. You want to try again? I'll say, let the Lord be on our side, and you say, let the Lord be on our side. Let the Lord be on our side. Now imagine you've got an army before you. You're declaring that God is on your side. The army is declaring that God is on their side. And you run into warfare, not against just human men, but also against horses and chariots. And in Psalm 20, we see that some rested in that, but others rested in the Lord. We're to rest in God. I want you to see something here that, that in Psalms is really true. It's also really true in Proverbs. And it's the, assumption, it's the assumption that the Bible makes, if you will, especially towards those who are reading this at this time, that we live in a fallen world. Wisdom is understanding, not just, not just right from wrong, but part of wisdom in living life in a good way is understanding that you and I live in a world that is fallen. And because we live in a world that is fallen, we're not dismayed when bad things happen because we're not living in necessarily a good world. We have a good God, we have a good Jesus, but the world in which we live in, though it was declared right and good in the beginning, has fallen into sin itself. And we're seeing the results, if you will. If God isn't on our side, if God isn't for us, we see the results. In Psalm 124, we see, for instance, that we fall into the prey's teeth and that we are trapped like that as a bird in a, in a cage. And in a, in a, uh, our feet have been grabbed and we've been taken down. Can we just declare here for a moment and just, and just try to understand and wrap our minds around the reality that if, if we're not praying to God and if we're not asking God to be on our side and if we haven't made a declaration for Jesus to be on our side, then you're fighting inside this world all by yourself. One of the things that we teach as Christians, that we embrace as Christians, is that we have enemies. We have them. Everyone has them. We know that our flesh is an enemy. We know that the devil is an enemy. We know the spiritual realm is an enemy. We know our, our, our own lustly desires. These are enemies that war against us, that take us down. And if Jesus isn't on our side, you do it by yourself. One of the things that we also teach apologetically is, is, as Christians is we understand that there is a problem in society. And we would agree with all of our other friends in the world, and all of our other friends in the world would also say the same thing. There's something broken and fractured about society. And then society goes about all these different ways to say, this is how we're going to bring out the salvation of man. The one that we're using now the most is technological advancement, yeah? If we just get more connected, it's one of the reasons social media exists. If we just get more connected with people and, 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 and we can make the world smaller, we can handle these bigger issues, and, and we can get the whole world on, on one side to, to fix the world. Or we say, we, we just need the right president. We just need the right politicians. We need the right policies. We need the right laws. Or if you're a doctor, you might say, you just need the right medication or you need the right diet. Are you with me? And we recognize within Christianity, none of those things will work. The only thing that will work is, is Jesus Christ in your life. I don't know if you've seen, um, I, I every now and then I, I really enjoy when uh, I see these interviews with Ben Shapiro and then some other Christian. One, which is an amazing interview, uh, is one with Ben Shapiro and John MacArthur. I don't know if you've seen it. I don't know how many of you are fans of MacArthur or not, but MacArthur does a wonderful job personally preaching the gospel to Ben Shapiro. Recently, he just sat down with Ravi Zacharias, a man who, whose mind is so much bigger than mine. 
Like, I, when you listen to him speak, let, like, not read, like, you listen to him speak, and you go, okay, slow down, use smaller words, change your vernacular, and say, um, every now and then, for God's sake, just so I have time to process what you're saying. And as he's sitting down with Ben Shapiro, and if you know Ben Shapiro, I'm going to summarize his basic stance. He, he's a practicing Jewish individual, and he basically believes that if America in particular, people in general, if we would return back to conservative ideology, back to conservative theology, then we'll be able to change the world. So he's a big advocate for, for conservative marriage. He's a big advocate for conservative education. And his basic approach as he goes around and lectures to thousands of people is if we become more conservative, we'll fix society. And Ravi Zacharias, as he's having this dialogue with, with Ben, he says, you know what, though? We can never fix society with good morality. And he goes on to say many Christians, many Muslims, have done horrible things in the name of morality. And then he gave the kicker, which is the key to the gospel and the key that opens us up to a relationship with Jesus Christ. He said, we don't need morality, we need a new heart. And until the heart is fixed, the morality will never be fixed. And then he said, I believe, and again, he said it so much more elegantly and intelligently than I will, I believe that that new heart is found in the person of Jesus Christ. So this, we recognize that if we don't pray out to the God who gives us a new heart, the God who changes us, as Christians, we call this regeneration or being born again, don't we? It's the reality that, that Jesus can come and take hold of you and change you completely to give you new appetites and new desires and new inclinations. See, sin does the opposite of that. The Westminster Confession talks about sin this way, before Jesus trying to do things on our own. It says it, says it like this. We are utterly disinclined, disabled. Spiritually, he says, we're disinclined, the Westminster Confession, disinclined, disabled. And then it goes on to say, not only are we disinclined and disabled towards that which is good, we are antagonistic to all that is good and wholly inclined to all that is evil. It's the doctrine of total depravity. That unless Jesus is on our side, as the psalmist prays out, the Lord must be on our side. Unless he is on our side, we are disinclined, disabled, antagonistic to that which is good, and wholly inclined to all that is evil. That is the human heart, my friends, from day one. And if you don't believe me, just come see two two-year-olds with one toy. We, we are inclined to the selfish Feed me, give me my desire, let me be first in line. We're filled with it. I, I like to share in regards to the idea, the idea of total depravity, just look at the human diet. Let, there's, there's very few people, there was two in the first service, so I've got to be careful. There's two, they're the exception, not the rule. How many of you wake up in the morning and go, you know what, I could sure use some steamed broccoli. Oof. There's a couple of you. And, and you're weird, man, like you're weird people. We love you, but you're weird. I was actually listening to a health show on the way into work this morning that said that, said that, that heart disease is a foodborne illness and that if we actually changed to a plant-based diet, we wouldn't have heart disease. It wouldn't exist. And I thought, well, I'm going to have a heart attack. I'm going to die. <laughs> foodborne illness. I'm addicted. The, the, the mouth alone desires that which is bad for itself. 
Just that. And likewise, spiritually, we do the same thing in relationships, in friendships, in our job situations. We are inclined to do the things that are destructive to us. And so as the psalmist cries out for God, it's a recognition in prayer, Lord, I need you to help me from myself. I need you to save me from not only the enemies of the world, but the enemies of my flesh. I need your help, God. It's an admonition. It's, it's admitting that you can't live life by yourself and be successful. And if you do, you'll end up bearing the consequences of that, which usually is isolation and depression. And anyone in the room who's ever struggled with those things, you'll know that to be true. You'll admit to it. Some of you became Christians because you realized that living life on your own was not fulfilling. It was unhelpful. And so what does God do? He responds to the cry. Here's the good news to salvation this morning. If you're here this morning and you say, you're asking, you know what, already you're engaged with the reality of Jesus. You're engaged with the reality that God of the universe, the God who created you, molded you, shaped you, and made you who you are, the God who loves you and cares for you, died on the cross for you, you're saying, I, I want a relationship with him. What must I do? It's really simple. The first step is to cry out to God. You know why that's good news? Because anybody can cry out to God. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what your past is. It doesn't matter what mistakes you've made. If you cry out to God, God is faithful to answer you. And if at some point in your life you come to a place that's really negative and you feel really down and you feel really beat up, you can go back to this message and remember, if I just cry out to God, God will answer my plea. And here's some of the answers we get from Psalm 20. In verse 1, he'll keep you safe. He'll be your defender. May the God of Jacob, it says in Psalm 20, verse 1 through 5, if you look through there, may the God of Jacob defend you. The God of our fathers is literally what he's saying. When he says, the God of Jacob, may the God of Jacob defend me. He's saying, may the God of history past, that all the history behind us, all, all the saints behind us, may that God who has proven himself to be completely loyal to us, because we have it within Scripture, may, may that God defend us. Remember I said the Psalms give us rich history? So when, when Psalm says, may the God of Jacob defend us, he's calling all the way back to the very beginning. And he's pointing us all the way to the very end in Revelations where we know that our God wins and has been faithful. Amen? Amen. I'm glad you're with me this morning. Brad's songs worked. Number, that's number one. May he keep you safe. Number two, in verse two of chapter 20, may he help you or strengthen you. From where? His sanctuary. This is literally to say that God's presence will be with you. Numbers 10.35 says, Whenever the ark, which was the presence of God, whenever the ark was set out, Moses said, Arise, O Lord, and let your enemies be scattered, and let those who hate you flee before you. See, here's the thing. When the psalmist read before that battle, King David would be standing there, and he'd say, Let the Lord be on our side, and the church would say, all right, we are quick this morning. And, and the, the, then all of a sudden they would turn and the king would turn with his army and the king would enter into the battle with his army, with his people side by side. And that king, King David, is a picture for us of Jesus. See, when you fight your battles, you fight with the presence of God in your battle. And sometimes you're not aware of the presence of God because you haven't been praying for the presence of God. You haven't made yourself aware in that presence. How many of you have entered into a trial and your first inclination and instinct was to rely on your own natural thinking and not prayer? Has anyone ever done that? 
I do it on the freeway all the time. The first inclination isn't to call out to God, Lord, be on my side. Help me think biblically. Help me think graciously. I can tell you as a pastor, I deal with people every single week who have forgotten the grace of God in their everyday circumstances. That I have dealt with husbands and wives who, who do not practice grace with their husband and wife or their kids. You know how I know that that happens every week? Because I'm counseling myself. Lord, help me. It's a real reality. God, that's number one, would keep us safe. Number two, that he will strengthen us with his very presence. He will be there and he will strengthen you if you call out to the Lord. If you call out to God, he will give you the strength that is necessary because he's with you. He doesn't want you to do it on his own. We've said it here before. You've heard it at other times. People say things like, you know, God never gives you more than you can handle. That's talking about temptation, not trial and tribulation. Has anyone in the room ever had a trial or tribulation that was above your pay grade? All right. This row. It's a real reality. And the reason for that is anytime, anytime something's over your head, what will you do? You call out. You finally call out, Lord, God, where are you? Are you here? Are you present? What must I do that will change? Sometimes God uses the hard things, the difficult things, the army, the battle, all of that to bring you to a place where you finally cry out for strength. Number three is in verse three. May he look favorably upon your offerings. You want to know why this one's so important. See, what happens Again, I, I mentioned when you're born again and you're regenerated, you get, you get new evidence, if you will, a new heart, and you begin to want to do new things. You, you begin to want to, to not just go to church, you, you actually enjoy going to church. You don't just want to read your Bible, you actually enjoy reading your Bible. You don't want to just pray, you actually enjoy praying. Your heart begins to change. And those things are evidences of the reality that Jesus exists in you because because no one can call upon the name of the Lord unless they've been born again. Nobody can actually really desire those things unless Jesus exists within them. You become alivened to this idea of grace. You want to hear more about this God. You want to study who he is. You want to figure out what he's about. You start to fall in love with the message of God. That's an evidence of being born again. And then something happens. You start to say, okay, God has done everything for me that's humanly possible. He gave me his own son. He's given me his spirit. He's now given me his strength. He's given me his help. He's on my side. If he's for me, who can be against me? God has radically given me everything that I could possibly ever think uh, I could ever need. I have forgiveness. I, I'm free from shame and guilt. All those things are found in Jesus. And then inevitably what will happen is you'll start to know that you've got to give back. Right? Because you're filled with gratitude and worship. And so many of, you, many of you serve because you're in love with Jesus. I was mentioning in the first service, uh, Bra uh, Wayne and Sandy Hoig were in the nursery. Wayne, and Sandy, Wayne, Wayne was our senior pastor for, for a long time. He's next door and he's loving kids. He knows I'm not going to, now that I'm technically his boss, I'm not going to give him a pay raise for that. He's not, he's not doing it to get a raise. He's doing it because he loves Jesus, because Jesus already had loved him first. And since he's felt the love of God, he naturally pours out of him to love you back. And same with his wife. And so they go next door and they serve kids. He told me, he told me this morning, he said, I'm gonna, he, he, he did ask, it's so funny, he didn't even know that I had shared this in the first service. But between services, he said, I need, has, I need hazard pay. 
And I said, why? Did you have to change the dirty diaper? He says, no, one of the kids bit me. <laughs> and the parent, the parent of the child who bit him came up to me and said, did you hear Wayne got bit by my son? I said, I did. And, and the, the father's response was, <laughs> I didn't tell Wayne this. Well, Wayne grew up on a farm. He's been bit by all kinds of animals. The natural inclination of being in love with Jesus Christ is to start to serve Jesus. And what happens in morality and religion is you serve Jesus to get something from Jesus. That, that isn't the way that Christianity works, is it? We don't serve Jesus to get anything from Jesus because we know that Jesus has already given us everything that we need. We serve Jesus because we're super thankful that Jesus has already served us. And so then we begin to, to give offerings to the Lord. Some of those things come in the form of money. Some of it comes in the form of time spent, like in the nursery, or helping out with VBS, or plugging away in our youth program, or our Awana program, or just generally caring about the people around you and praying for them. Those are all things that we do, again, as evidence of regeneration, but, but also because we recognize that God has freely given to us, so we freely give to others. But here's, here's why this prayer is so important in understanding. May God, may God look favorably upon my offerings, because our offerings are never good enough. They're just not. And I've had people challenge me over the years, and they say, well, I feel like my heart was right in that. I think it was Augustine, or it might have been Owen, who said, that even in asking for forgiveness from God, we sometimes ask because we don't like the way the sin made us feel, not because we actually care about how the sin made God feel. That even in our service and our giving, our tithing, all of those things, we can do those things and they may be good and there might be good in them, but there still may be a part of selfishness in it. And this is again why we need Jesus. So we say to God, Lord, Lord, you know I'm an imperfect person. You know that my gifts will never be completely sufficient for you. Lord, you know that, that, that I can try as hard as I possibly can to be a good husband and a good father and a good pastor and a good friend, and I'm still going to come up short no matter how hard I try. So, Lord, would you take my imperfection and would you just be happy with it? It's not an excuse for your imperfection, but it frees you to actually try. Do you understand what I'm saying? It's recognizing that Jesus covers all of our mistakes and all of our shortcomings with his son. This is why in Christianity we say, you are hidden within the son of God. In the Muslim faith, it's a prayer that if you serve Allah a certain way, hopefully by the end of your life, Allah will find you acceptable. Within Christianity, we say we're hidden within the life of Jesus. So when we show up in front of Yahweh, Yahweh can't help but accept us because we've been hidden within the perfect son that is Christ the unification with Jesus that we have. That's one of the reasons why we have to declare praise and prayer so we can recognize this oneness, which leads us out of this to then see that the psalmist says, not only should he find it acceptable, but because of this, may your heart's desire be gratified and may you then shout for joy. Everyone say, shout for joy. Shout for joy. Man, you guys are on it this morning. This reality that when you come into the unification of Jesus that exists within Jesus Christ, that we see that our hearts become the same heart as Christ, and therefore God starts to fulfill our actual real heart's desires, real inner peace, real reconciliation, real unification with God. Keller says in regards to pray, God will only give you what you would have asked for if you knew everything he knows. Do I need to read that again? <laughs> God will only give you what you would have asked for 
if you knew everything he knows. This means God always answers his prayers according to what is best for you. And when it doesn't go your way, you have to admit in humility that you don't know what God knows because you're not infinite, but he is. And then that should lead us to a place, as it says in verse 5, to shout for joy. All of this to be said, all those points I just mentioned, let me wrap them up into one simple statement. Jesus is on your side. The great Puritan Thomas Watson said it like this. When a Christian is weak and can hardly pray, Jesus Christ is praying for him. And Jesus prays three things for us. I would add a fourth. Number one, that the saints would be kept from sin, John 17, 15. Number two, that his people would progress in holiness, John 17, 17. Number three, that we would be glorified for our glorification, John 17, 24. And number four, I would add from Luke 22, 31, that our faith would not fail. You know why this is important? Because number one, you need to be kept from sin so it keeps you holy as God is holy. But your progress in holiness, that you would currently grow in your relationship with God, that presently God cares about you now. That he wants you to grow now. But he adds to this the glorification aspect. This is just a million dollar way of saying that your salvation is guaranteed. Scripture talks about our salvation in three tenses. That you were saved. This is past tense. Ephesians 1. Right? Before the foundation of the world. He loved you. He gave himself for you. But he knew who you were. He knew he was dying for you on the cross. That you were saved. That you're being saved progress in your faith and number three glorification that you shall be saved so we enjoy the reality again just as we do in psalms our salvation is rooted in deep history our salvation is currently still being worked out and our salvation is not yet complete and we look forward to the day when jesus comes through the clouds and redeems his bride to himself for all eternity yeah Are you looking forward to that third one that's good news i'm like lord come now it's getting warm in here Come now, Lord. God is for us, and he frees us from the snare of the devil, the eternal snare of damnation. Let me read to you. Uh, Spurgeon says it like this. <clears throat> Fowlers have many methods of taking small birds, and Satan has many methods of entrapping souls. Some are decoyed by evil companions. Others are enticed by the love of dainties. I don't know what that is. That's old English. But apparently dainties were a tempting thing. Hunger drives them to the trap. The, f the fright impels numbers to fly into the net. Happy is the bird that hath a deliverer strong and mighty and ready in the moment of peril. Happier still is the soul over which the Lord watches day and night to pluck its feet out of the net. Escaped from our natural slavery, escaped from guilt, the degradation, ruin or poverty, habit, the dominion of sin, escaped from the vain deceits, and fascinations of Satan escape from all that can destroy. The snare may be false doctrine, pride, lust, temptation, or despair, but we, church, have a deliverer from these and more. He made heaven for us, and he will keep us for heaven. Amen? This should build within you and I a deep confidence to go to the throne of God with boldness in our prayer. A new confidence that allows us to wait upon the Lord in prayer because we know that he saves take a note or take a look here at psalm 20 verse 6 look at the assurance in psalm 20 i know the lord saves amen to that 
The psalmist says, I know the Lord saves. I know he does it. He's confessing. He knows that God's going to save his anointed, that, that God can't help it. There's a confidence and an assurance here that, again, should bring great joy to our hearts. This ultimately is the confession of trust in God. So here comes the application as we move towards conclusion. And it comes in the form of Psalm 20, verses 7 through 8. We understand the reality now, if you've been tracking with me, that we should be in prayer to God, that we should call out to the Lord. And specifically, we should call out to the Lord in his name. You ever notice when we pray, we say, in Jesus' name, amen. There's power in the name of Jesus Christ. And so we cry out to him and we ask him to save us from ourselves, to save us, save us from the temptation of the world, to help us persevere. Earlier, you got a little bit of the doctrine of total depravity, but the other part of that is the, the end of, of pers- the perseverance of the saints, that we believe that once you were saved, you were always saved. You can't lose your salvation because you didn't earn your salvation. And it's Jesus who holds you. You don't hold Jesus. You're too weak to hold on to Jesus. He holds you in his hands. Jesus himself said it. No one can snatch you from my hands. So we call out to this God in prayer. And then it requires us to respond in a very specific way here, I believe. Notice it says in verses 7 through 8, some trust in Horiots. Uh, I don't know what that is, but that's a bad thing. Some, some trust in chariots and some trust in horses. What he's ultimately stating, that this form, the most advanced and effective form of warfare available at the time with seasoned troops, war horses that could tear, tear apart foot soldiers. It's stating that, that we're at a complete disadvantage. We have to recognize that when we call out to God that in this world, we are in every logical sense of the way, we are completely in a disadvantage. We do not possess the same kind of technology the world possesses, but we possess the name of the Lord. And the, the, the commandment here, I believe, is that we would put away our trust in the chariots and put away our trust in the horses of the world. That we would not lean in on the advancement of the world or the world's teachings. We would lean in on the teachings of Jesus Christ. You remember when King David, who wrote these psalms? Remember when he's kind of first brought up on the scene and it's this pivotal moment for David? We're finally going to see what, what he's worth. What's his medal? Because there's this huge giant man. His name is Goliath. And he's standing on the battlefield in all of his armor with a huge sword. And he basically is mocking Israel. I'm going to defeat you. I can kill all of you. He's a warrior. He's a warrior's warrior. He's a man's man. And David shows up on the scene and he says, you know what? I, I, believe, I believe that God has called me to defeat this man in the name of the Lord. And so what Saul does is Saul goes, okay, well, better you than me, I guess. And Saul goes and he takes out this his own armor, the king's armor, and he places it on David, and he gives his armor, the royal armor, to this little farm boy who raised sheep. And what happens to David? He can't wear it. It's too heavy. The text gives us an insight of a couple different things. One, Saul, who was not a good king, was a strong king, a good-looking king, we're even told. He obviously had some muscle to him. He had some stout to him. David, on the other hand, he's scrawny. He's been out in the field hanging out with sheep. He smells, he smells like the farm or like the nursery, right, Wayne? He, he's a nobody. 
And David says, I can't wear the armor. And so he goes out into the battlefield and he takes with him not, not a war horse. He doesn't even take a sword. He takes a slingshot and a few rocks. And he stands in the name of the Lord and you can just see as you read that story that Goliath is mocking and laughing at this sheepish little boy. This is your warrior. This is who you're going to use to defeat our army. Who do you think you wham? Thump. David walks over, grabs Goliath's own sword, chops Goliath's head off with it. All to declare, there is no competing against the name of the Lord. Church, you and I need to put our trust not in the ways of the world. You need to be reading the garbage magazines and the five steps to this and the six steps to that or the ten things to a happy marriage. They're all out there. Just take a look. Walk through the magazine aisle. Look on your local little Facebook thing. It's all steps. Ten things to this. Eight things for that. Seven things for this. Six things for that. And they don't want to give you steps. They want to tell you what to do. And we love to eat that stuff up. Tell me what to do. Tell me what to do. And then God comes along and says, you need one step. Call out to the name of God. That's it. That's all you need. Call out to Jesus. The final plea of deliverance is in these pages. In fact, Luther said, Luther said of the Psalms, if you can skip the next one, it's not working. Luther called the Psalms a mini Bible. He said it gives an overview of salvation through history from creation, through the giving of the law on Mount Sinai, the establishment of the tabernacle and the temple, the exile due to unfaithfulness, and it all points us towards the coming messianic redemption and the renewal of all things in Jesus Christ. See, these Psalms, we've just been given a slight little insight into the reality that Jesus Christ delivers us and he saves us. So here's the takeaways. You know, we've been doing this thing for a few weeks now, a couple months, some next steps. Here, here's my number one job as a pastor is to help you grow in your sanctification and help your faith increase. So that with each passing week, you're growing in the name of Jesus and you, you feel your faith growing in God. And so we've been doing these things as just takeaways, a couple applications you could practice during the week. Last week, by just way of community, I'd asked all of you to, to sit somewhere other than where you s normally sit, and, uh, which didn't totally work because once everybody moved, you just were sitting next to the same people because everybody moved. Um, w every now and then the Teen Challenge guys sit up here, right, right about in this section, and, uh, and I was talking about this last week, and a mom was telling me that every time the Teen Challenge guys show up and they sit there, this is where they normally sit that her little daughter, who I think she's like five years old, says she gets mad. <laughs> They're in our spot again, Mom. Um, so all that to be said, move around a little bit. Um, and we've had a few people complaining that it's hot in here, and Brad Franklin, our building guy, said just tell them to find a seat next to one of the vents. So if you're hot, there are vents in the room, and it's pumping out cold air. And is it working, Cameron? Yep, see, Cameron's cool. I'm not, though. I'm in the hottest spot in the room. Um, here's your takeaway. Number one, ask for the help of the Lord that he may answer you in the day of trouble. This is, just, this is just an instruction that if you feel like you're struggling in something, call out to the Lord this week. Take time to just legitimately just call out to him. Number two, as it says in Psalm 20, verse 5, take some time to shout for joy and do it out loud. Like, don't just do it in your shower. Like, like actually take time to just shout for the Lord. Something happens when you, when you process something mentally and you think about it and then you say it verbally 
and it's articulated out loud through the lips of your mouth, something happens in your heart, something sticks with you in a way that's more important than it would be if you didn't, and just take time to rejoice in the fact that God is good, amen? And then lastly, number, number three, get rid of your chariots. I don't know what they are. I don't know what ways you're trusting God or what ways you're not trusting God. I don't know if you're trusting uh, your bank account to save you. It won't. I don't know if you're trusting your marriage to save you or your kids to save you. They won't. A friendship, a job, they won't. I don't know what ways you're leaning in on substance abuse to save you. It won't save you. Only the name of Jesus Christ will save you. Increase your faith this week. Get rid of your chariots and embrace the God-man that is Jesus Christ. Morality won't do it, but a new heart will. Call out for the new heart. Amen? All right, let's pray. And remember, I'll see you guys next week at the beach. Not in here. Yeah, bring some chairs for sure. Lord, um, as we sing, we pray that you would do a work in our hearts, that you would confirm your words to us in a way that are impossible on our own. Because we know, Lord, we need you to look favorably on our, our offerings to you. I pray, Lord, that you would heal families and bring people to salvation, that you would heal hearts this morning. If there are individuals here who are on the edge, Lord, of possibly being in a relationship with Jesus, I pray, Lord, that they would just jump over today, that they would make a choice to call out to you and to follow your ways because they they finally now confess, Lord, that the ways they have been living haven't been working. May we trust in the name of the Lord. May we run to you, our strong tower. In Jesus' name, amen.